Today's our final week in our series, Down to Earth, uh, focusing today on down-to-earth obedience. I'm going to read you two passages, the first from the Gospel according to Luke, and I'm going to go back a few verses and start reading at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. This is the story that traditionally has been referred to as the Annunciation, where the angel Gabriel announces to Mary her opportunity. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee named Jerusalem, named Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord, the, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end." Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Our second reading comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians. I'm reading chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. Paul wrote, Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, in which you shine like stars in the world. These are the word of God for all of us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I ask you please to pray with me. May the words that I say and the reflections that go through all of our minds, may these give you pleasure, God. You who are our rock. You who save us. Amen. What are you trying not to do this Christmas? That may sound a little backward, but I bet you can come up with quite a list. Trying not to do. Perhaps you are trying not to forget someone who should be on your gift list. Trying not to get, forget a family member or a friend who might be expecting a present. You really want not to mess that up. Perhaps you've been baking and you've been trying not to burn the cookies. Perhaps you are trying not to fall asleep when you're up later at night than you want to be, assembling the gifts that you bought that seemed like a good idea until you found out assembly was required. 
Or maybe you will be trying not to get into a political fight with that relative with whom you fight every year at the holiday table when you sit down together and you have very different views and you're going to try really hard not to get into a fight with that person. There can be a lot at Christmas that you try not to do. And so if you've been already spending a lot of effort trying not to do things, to avoid messing up or getting in trouble, you may come into worship today and see down-to-earth obedience and think, oh, great, now I get to hear about something else I'm not supposed to do. How else am I in trouble today? Well, spoiler alert, we've got good news for you. Today is not about being in trouble. Today is about a very different view of what obedience is, and it's good news. Good news for each of us and good news for the world. Today, my first reading was from the Gospel according to Luke, and we heard about Mary, a very simple young woman who was engaged but not yet married, who was invited by the angel Gabriel to partner with God so that she would bear the Son of God, into the world. It was an amazing request. It was daunting. I wish the gospel according to Luke told us how long it took her to respond. If you read in Luke, it sounds like she said it immediately. Well, let it be with me according to your word. And that might be what happened. It's also possible she took a little while before she decided. It may have taken a little time before she said yes. But she did say yes. Or to put it in a different way, Mary obeyed. Reflecting upon Mary's obedience gives us a chance to see obedience in a different way. And I want to focus on three different ways in which we see obedience differently and then spend some time in Philippians and see how that gives us even more depth to what it means to obey uh, the God whom we know in Christ. The first thing that this shows us about obedience is it helps us rethink the way that we think about God. Too often we have a kind of scary father God in our head and we have this idea of this God that we're shrinking from or trying to not tick off in some way. But that isn't the relationship Mary has with God at all. Just as Dan was saying in his children's time that The God that Angel Gabriel tells Mary about is a God she already knows. They have a relationship. She trusts this God. This isn't a God who's waiting and watching for us to mess up. This is a God who loves us and trusts us and invites us. That's what we see in Mary's relationship with God the Father. Someone safe and loving. It's not about the big scary God in the sky. It's someone who cares for us and is trustworthy. The second point that we see in this is how the calling is not a private thing. Too often in American Christianity, we see following Jesus as a very private thing between Jesus and me. And although we may live out portions of our faith lives in private prayer, in private Bible study, fundamentally the Christian faith is public. Our relationship with God is calling us to choose to live a life in accordance with Jesus' desires, but it is so that we might serve others. God calls us not only to bless us. Our blessing is actually kind of a side effect of God's fundamental point, which is serving others. God doesn't call Mary fundamentally to bless her. He calls Mary because God has something 
Mary is needed to do, and that is to bear the Son of God into the world. It's not about Mary. And our Christian faith isn't fundamentally about us. It is how God works through us for others. Which leads to that third point, how our faith in Jesus leads us to ways that serve others, that are for the greater community. As I said, there may be a blessing that comes alongside that, but it is for others. And we see that for Mary. She hears this word. She marvels at it. She knows that her cousin Elizabeth is miraculously pregnant when everyone would have said Elizabeth was too old to bear a child. And she goes to that kinswoman. She goes to that cousin just to be reassured, to be in the presence of someone else who experiences the miracles of God. And when Elizabeth welcomes Mary Elizabeth's baby, uh, whom we know will be John the baptizer, that baby leaps within Elizabeth's womb. The baby recognizes that Mary is carrying Jesus, the Son of God, who will be the Messiah. And Elizabeth marvels, how, how is it that the mother of my Messiah comes to me? Elizabeth is filled with awe. She too is carrying a miraculous pregnancy that is not about her. It is her carrying John who will be the harbinger, the forerunner for Jesus. These two women with miracle pregnancies, which will bless them, but will also be difficult, just as Elizabeth's pregnancy carried its own suffering with it and would carry the suffering of John the Baptist's early death. So Mary carries a pregnancy that is a blessing, but also brings with it suffering. Suffering for her and Joseph, her betrothed, who debated how to handle this unexpected pregnancy. Suffering that the Song of Simeon recommends when after the baby is born and Simeon proclaims how God will work through this child, but then says to Mary, and a sword will pierce your side also. There was suffering for Mary. Blessing but also suffering in carrying this child, a suffering she was willing to undergo for the sake of the world. So we're seeing something powerful about how obedience is not about cringing or hiding from God. Rather, obedience, in the words of Rachel Billups, the author of this chapter says, is about being willing to say a big yes to God. So to reflect upon obedience, we reflect upon what it means to say yes to God, to be a vessel to God, to allow God to use us. Which leads us back to that Philippians passage. I want to read just a couple verses of it again to you. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is one of those passages that drove the Protestant reformers crazy, this idea of us working out our own salvation. But this isn't a passage in which Paul is saying we save ourselves. That's not the point. We're saved by Christ through grace, by faith, but it's not our doing. This passage is telling us that the saving is done by God in Christ, but we also work out our salvation by being willing to partner with God. Will you let God work through you 
for others to be blessed, for others to be saved, for others to experience fullness of life. And the invitation we receive over and over again is, will you let me, will you let God work in you? And we are invited, like Mary, to say yes. May it be with me according to your will. As I think of an example of obedience in our congregational life, I think almost immediately of last Sunday and the beautiful Christmas cantata that we enjoyed. It was stunning. I hope many of you were able to be here. It was stunning to watch our children and our youth and adults as they sang and played handbells and played organ and played piano and played keyboard and played guitar and played bass and played drums and sang their hearts out and led puppets all of that came together in this amazing way. And we were all so strengthened and uplifted by that. It, something happened in us reminding us of the love and the grandeur of God. It was such a beautiful blessing. But behind that was sacrifice, was really hard work by our singers and our instrumentalists and our puppeteers uh, as they spent a lot of time, as they practiced, as they spent extra rehearsals during Advent, which is such a busy season for everyone, there was a lot of sacrifice that went behind the blessing that the congregation received in worshiping together in that way last week. It was a sacrifice that people were willing to give, but there was sacrifice to it. But all of us received that blessing and were strengthened, and our faith was renewed because of it. That's the kind of obedience to which God calls us Last week, it was the instrumentalists, all the musicians, uh, offering their gifts so that God could use them, that the whole congregation could worship. That's obedience. When I think of my own life of obedience, uh, kind of the most e dramatic example I think of happened in my mid-20s. I had been working uh, in a university, and I began to feel stirrings within me that that God wanted me to, to shift what I was doing, that I was called to some kind of social justice work. And so I resigned my position at a university and went through a long period of, of struggling and working various jobs and suffering, trying to discern God's, God's will for my life. Eventually, I learned about the Mission Intern Program, a three-year young adult uh, leadership program through our United Methodist Board of Global Ministries. I applied to that program, and spring of the year that I was 27, I was accepted. I have a vivid memory of a particular moment in time when I was looking at a list of possible placements. I was looking at the list with a friend, and I got to tell you, I looked at this list, and I got so excited. There were some placements that were in Spanish-speaking countries, and I had had six and a half years of Spanish in school. Maybe finally this would be my chance to become bilingual. I was so excited. And there were other placements that were in predominantly Buddhist countries, and I'd studied Buddhism in college. Oh, that would be so fun to serve in one of those places. Predominantly, I'd learned about Buddhist-Christian relations. This was going to be so great. There was actually only one place on the list that I did not want to. Ago. Jerusalem, working in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Ugh, I did not want to go there. I, I'd heard, the conflict just was upsetting. It got everyone worked up. That, I had no interest in that. That was the one place on the list that I did not want to go. Fast forward six weeks, I get a phone call from my boss in New York, Ken Guest, who calls up and says, Jane, we, we know where we want to send you. He said, Jerusalem. 
<laughs> and I said, Jerusalem. Yes, Jerusalem. Yeah, we're going to send you to Jerusalem. And, and I didn't say this to him, but what I thought, the one place I didn't want to go is the place you are sending me? Are you kidding me? But through the power of the Holy Spirit, I said, okay, yes. And I went to Jerusalem, and it was a profound blessing, and it broke my heart. It was amazing to work in the Palestinian Christian community. I learned so much. Um, I developed close friendships with Muslims. It was the first time I'd had Muslim friends in my life. I learned about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and, and could see concerns of all the different sides of that conflict, but also witnessed firsthand the incredible inequity in that situation and the oppression the Palestinian people faced. And it was an amazing experience. I was sent there specifically because when I came back, the United Methodist women would be studying Christians in the Middle East as one of their study themes. And so I was sent so that I could come back and speak and write and be available to United Methodist women's units learning about Christians in the Middle East. It was an amazing experience. It was also heartbreaking. I was there during the first intifada, and it was a very difficult and stressful time. I was evacuated from Jerusalem right before the first Gulf War broke out. Um, there was a lot of suffering for me in that, yes, but also just the tremendous privilege of having been there. When I returned from that year and a half of service, then the next year and a half of my life were in Staten Island, going around and speaking, and I wrote for New World Outlook and Response Magazines and did a lot of public work raising awareness of Christians in the Middle East and the Israel-Palestine conflict and Christian-Muslim relations, and all those things that I'd experienced in Jerusalem became available for that educational work, and it was such a privilege. And then I went to seminary, and I studied and was reading these passages in the Bible and studying it, and, and I had to stop myself from saying, I've been there, because we would read about Jerusalem, where I used to live, and we'd read about Bethlehem, where I used to have slumber parties with my friend Abir and her sisters, and Cana, and Nazareth, and Capernaum, and I had been to all those places, and I would think, how did I get to do all that? But it wasn't for me. It was for education of United Methodists during my time of service in the second half of my missionary service. And then it was for the congregations and the conference that I've served since then. This amazing opportunity that was never about me. If it was about me, it would have been a Spanish-speaking country or it would have been a Buddhist country. But it was never for me. Mary's pregnancy was not for Mary. She said yes to allow God to work through her. And she suffered, but she was also blessed. Brothers and sisters, in this tail end of the Advent season, uh, looking forward to Christmas, I wonder if there's a big yes that might be on your heart. Is there something that's been niggling at you, some little opportunity, some way to serve? Maybe it's a relationship that you've been feeling a stirring about. Is it time to work for reconciliation with a family member or a friend or someone in your neighborhood? Is there a kind of volunteer service that keeps kind of batting around in your brain and you're thinking, maybe now is the time for that? Or maybe 
there is a way you want to get more involved in the congregational life, and you're feeling, you know, I'd, I'd like to do that unafraid series, or I'd like to volunteer with the kids, or maybe this is the time uh, to become a church mouse and help care for our college students that are farther away. What, whatever it is, is there something in your heart that you've been feeling a little prodding? Is there an obedience to which God calls you? What good news it is to know that down-to-earth obedience is not about what we can avoid doing as we cower away from the angry God that we might tick off in some way, but rather that Mary's obedience shows us that we follow a God of love who invites us to obey by saying yes to something bigger than ourselves, something that may be a blessing for us ourselves, but is for others, that is a way that God will use us as part of healing and serving and saving the world. How are you invited to say yes this Advent season? Amen.